certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. Today, court heard the DNA under Kira Glennon's fingernail is 80 million times more likely to be Bradley Edwards than anyone else. Welcome to Day 59 of Claremont in Conversation. Natalie Bongiolo, Tim Clark and Alison Fan with you. Ali, the morning started with the stars, the state's star DNA expert who basically dismissed the defence's theories of contamination. Absolutely, and I think it's very appropriate that the man who really started all of this, Dr Jonathan Whitaker, um, with his DNA discovery, really the genesis of this historic trial was the one who wrapped up the DNA evidence for today and it's been a very long time with this evidence clearing on something like three months but he stuck to his guns and in no uncertain terms said his findings that the DNA belonged to the accused man Bradley Robert Edwards uh, stood and he virtually dismissed any suggestion that it was contaminated. Now I say virtually dismissed because as a scientist he says we never say never but he um, stuck to the facts and said that um, I use the terms highly improbable, highly unreasonable. Then he listed the ways as to why he said any contamination would have had to jump through so many hurdles to have happened again. Um, it used the scientific explanation of why this couldn't have happened. Tim, Carmel Barbagallo um, asked Dr Whitaker about um, to talk us through the two contamination theories and and what his opinion of that was. Can you start by talking us through um, this contamination theory one? What is that? And what did Dr. Whitaker have to say about it? Mm, yeah, Matt, so it's the, the, the two arms of the same theory, really, in that um, the contamination, according to the defence theory, comes from Mr. Edwards's DNA that was kept in Pathwest from 1995, and that DNA came from uh, the sperm uh, extract and from the intimate swab taken from the young lady that he raped in Karaka, a of tree, in the February of that year. So that's the genesis of the theory. But there's two arms to that because there were two sets of possible contaminant source according to this theory. One is the actual swab itself that was taken from that young lady, the actual physical swab. And then the second arm is the DNA extract that was um, taken from that swab using the chemical process. And that was also kept in the lab for all those years after. So they're, they're the two possible sources of contamination that it has to have come from because they were the only two sources of Mr. Edwards' DNA in the lab at the time. So you take the first one of those, which is the swab. Um, so that is the actual physical white-headed swab that was used to um, collect the biological material from the victim in 1995 probably hours or certainly only days after that um, attack occurred. So Mr. Whittaker's opinion of that, as Ali said, he said it was, I can, I can never say never, but in my opinion, Mr. Whittaker got as close as any scientist possibly could today to say, to say never because he used so many hurdles to, to 
um, to, to be, well, he put so many hurdles in the way of that that he said it was it was virtually impossible. And the main one of those was that if the contaminant had come from that swab um, onto Kira's fingernails, then not only would Mr. Mr. Edwards' DNA been on it, but also the victim of that rape would have been on it as well. And there was no sign of her in any of the tests done, but certainly the test in 2008. So that's why Dr. Whittaker said that first possible source was um, um, the way he described it. He put it in a ranking and he said he, it was way below, very low. So it was as low as you could possibly go without saying impossible. The second source, the extract, so that is the actual little tiny um, vial of liquid that was left over when they did the extraction process from the swab, and Mr. Ed, only Mr. Edwards' DNA was in that vial. So obviously that precludes the possibility or the probability of, of the victim, the rape victim's DNA being on Kira's fingernails. But he said all the other... Um, and when he was asked his opinion on that, he said all the other hurdles um, for the swab are still in the way. Um, the, the storage of it, the mechanism had to be there. And obviously, most probably, both um, Kira's fingernails and that um, DNA extract would have to be in um, proximity to each other, both time and um, place. And what was pointed out, again, in court today, was that there were vast amounts of time in between the opportunity for those two things to be in contact with each other. 13 months um, at the one end and four and a half years at the other end. And so, again, Mr. Whitaker was asked, so what are the likely, what's the likelihood of that happening? And he put it on his own subjective scale. He said that was a very, very low. So, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a big finale for the prosecution, you've got to say. As Ali said, this guy, Dr. Whittaker, started all this back in 08 when he uh, when he made his analysis and found this, this or spotted this male DNA. And he was basically the penultimate witness today. And um, he really, really did, was, was quite devastating, quite scathing as to the probabilities of this uh, so-called contamination theory um, raised by the defence. And I found it very interesting that he, in a way, answered so many questions that the listeners have been asking us about, you know, well, wouldn't someone else's DNA also be under the fingernail? And and these were the questions that he answered that we've been wondering ourselves. Except, yeah. Yes. And the only one that um, was put forward by the defence was that if the contaminant had come from the sample of the sperm, that... Um, the victim's DNA had already been separated or extracted from that, so therefore her uh, victims would not necessarily have been in that particular one. But he was quite unshakable, um, very measured, uh, very calm, and everything you would expect from a man who's pioneered this very technique. And we're talking about thing debris, is what they said, not visible to the naked eye. People are talking about fingernails, but it wasn't. It's just minute Particles that he's perfected. That's right. He Mm. is world-renowned at giving evidence in in trials such as this. Carmel Barbagallo asked uh, Dr Whitaker to consider a scenario where Kira scratched a person other than Bradley Edwards. What did Dr Whitaker have to say about that? Yes, so this is the theory that, well, I mean, it goes to the the contamination theory, obviously, um, uh, because by the very nature of, of that, 
thinking if it's um, if Mr. Um, Edwards's DNA had got on Kira's fingernails via contamination, then it would mean that if she had scratched someone, and that is the very likely um, outcome of her nails being broken, um, because we've already heard that her nails were otherwise perfectly manicured, apart from the thumb and the middle finger. Um, so she must have scratched someone, or that's the, that's the um, that's the assumption. Then, if she has, then that person's DNA should be under those fingernails as well, because yeah. it was very forceful. I mean, forceful enough to break off a whole thumbnail, almost or almost a whole thumbnail. So you, all our listeners can very phys- um, easily imagine how how much force um, she must have been fighting with um, when she was being attacked. And uh, so if that was scratch was done to someone else, then that person's DNA should be there. And Dr. Mm. Whitaker pointed out, well, it wasn't. It was no one else's DNA was there, but Mr. Edwards's was. And so, again, that goes to a, a, a likelihood factor, a plausibility factor. Um, and again, he said um, that the, the likelihood of no DNA or, or someone else's DNA not being under there um, was, was pretty low. So if, in fact, the attacker wasn't Bradley Edwards, then he is saying that the DNA of the person who did attack Kira, their DNA should also have been found under the fingernails. That's right, because he said, um, it's, I mean, she would have died straight away. So it's not like she's got away and washed her hands like other cases might be around with living witnesses etc so he's saying there was no other and he as i said earlier he was quite unshakable in a very very calm and measured way tim did um carmel barbagallo also asked dr whitaker to consider a scenario where kira glennon had 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 in fact scratched um bradley edwards yeah so when you take out all those other scenarios which Mr. Dr. Whitaker was asked about and said very low, you know, low to very low, way below very low, then what are you left with? What is the, the, the likely scenario? Well, it is that Kira scratched Mr. Edwards and that's why his DNA was under the fingernails. And he was asked, well, what's, what's the, when you take all those other scenarios out, what's the, what would you say is, what, was, what would you say the likelihood of that is? And he, he said moderately high to high likelihood that that's what's happened. So when you line up all those other scenarios, or all the likely scenarios, contamination of the swab, contamination of the extract, Kira scratching someone that wasn't Mr. Edwards, or Kira scratching someone that was Mr. Edwards, when you lined them all up, Dr. Whitaker said the most likely is the last one. And it wasn't just a medium likely or a highly likely it was really at the top of the scale that he would put it on very low to very high absolutely yeah he um he well, he, he wouldn't quote numbers as he said as a scientist i won't but on his scale it was at the top of his list yep and there was also an interesting question asked about a scratch study Oh, yes. What was that about and what was the relevance of that? Well, um, this was, of course, um, from the defence who actually brought up a few case studies, um, including the, uh, the one that we'd heard before about the contamination. But this was about um, a study where they had some uh, people scratching, deliberately scratching themselves and scratching their partners. And what were there, Tim? I think about 30 of them that they said, but they were scratching themselves and what they did find other people's DNA or other mixed DNA under their fingernails. Mm. Um, 
but it didn't really go anywhere. I didn't think it was it was a rather bizarre. Yeah, case. so this was, this, was a, <laughs> this was a study done in 2012, mm. um, and as Ali said, it was it was to try and ascertain the likelihood, or um, you know, the ratio that if you did scratch someone, what how likely would it be that um, DNA would would um, would stay under your fingernails? Um, they they got. 30 couples, apparently. I don't know how well these yeah, couples yeah, were getting yeah, on no at the scratching time. Away. But they were, they were <laughs> asked to scratch oh. their arms mm. um, and then they, they took DNA swabs from under the fingernail and, uh, and came up with a ratio. Um, and as Ali said, I didn't think it was particularly helpful to the defence, even though it was then bringing it up, um, because one of the one of the results was that um, eight out of the 20 people that they tested did have DNA under their fingernails. Oh. So, um, but what, what it was designed to do in terms of research and in terms of the defence was the likelihood of um, scratching, leaving DNA, uh, as opposed to what so-called social contact, which is obviously lighter than that. But yes. in re-examination, um, Ms. Barbagallo asked Dr. Whittaker, well, you know, what, 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 compared to that test in this scenario, when someone is presumably fighting for their lives, exactly. um, mm. and, it, and he said, Force, of course, is the most important factor. And these couples weren't scratching their fingernails hard enough to break them off, which is what we think happened to Kira. Yesterday we spoke to Brendan Chapman about the degradation of DNA. Um, did Paul Jovich ask Dr Whitaker about that? Well, Carmel Barbagallo did, actually. Yeah. That. Mm. I don't know if... Uh, Dr. Whittaker was listening to the podcast last night, but if he, if he wasn't, he must have read uh, he must have read Brendan's mind because in some follow up questions this morning, Carmel and Barbara Gallo went um, straight to that um, oh. and and uh, the degradation issue which Brendan raised last night was there was a doubt whether it, whether um, Dr. Whittaker's evidence yesterday that's saying that um, the if the DNA was left at the same time it would degrade it at the same time how how he could possibly come to that conclusion. Well, he was asked directly that question, and he did clarify what he meant by that. And, and and what he said this morning, or what he explained this morning, was he didn't. If he did imply that, he certainly didn't mean to That's imply right, that. Yes. Mm. But what mm. he did, what what he was trying to point out, which was actually a, a quite a quite a valid point and one that I, I, I hadn't thought of, was that if the, the DNA had got there via a contamination then he might expect to see different levels of degradation yes. because they, they have been exposed to yes. different environments, obviously. Mm. So Kira's fingernails, for instance, had been exposed to the elements for you know, more than two weeks. Um, heat, humidity, UV, light, all those things that we talked about yesterday. Yes. Whereas, a, whereas a supposedly um, uh, yeah. DNA sample in the lab mm. would degrade at a different rate. But what he was saying was, what I saw in the sample was DNA that had degraded at a, at a, a mixed DNA, so DNAs from two people that had degraded at the same time, which he said added another element of doubt to the contamination theory because um, presumably if the DNA had come from the lab and, uh, and not from a, a direct source, then it might have degraded at a different, um, a slightly different rate and that would have shown up on the graphs. That definitely provided some clarity to what we were talking about yesterday mm. then. Yeah. Um, now, Paul Jovich stated or seemed to state 
that it's not impossible for DNA in the lab <laughs> for 13 months yeah, we loved to that one find before. its way mm. into a sample. Did Dr Whitaker have something to say about that? Well, actually, it was brought out a bit, there was a lot more elaborated today because when we first heard that analogy that he talked about it and we all sort of visualised DNA flying around the air conditioning ducts for a couple of years and up floors and so forth. But today that he explained that that DNA that had come from a former worker who had left the uh, lab some time earlier was in fact in a freezer that they she shared and used. So she did use the same freezer and that DNA had built up every time she opened a freezer for whatever reason, put a lunch and we don't know. But it wasn't exactly flying around on its own as we were first um, led to believe. And so that didn't really go very far except the judge did ask about did they know what time um, span it was and they said they never really detected um, when that contamination thing but quite a different um, story than the first one we heard don't you believe? Yeah. 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 yeah this was the cell mark I mean our listeners won't remember when we were discussing cell mark yep. with the um, um, Andrew McDonald um, witness and uh, as Ali said Paul Jovic brought up this this uh, seemingly you know amazing case of a staff member who hadn't been at the lab for nearly two years and somehow her DNA has got onto a sample and you know how's it got there well as Ali said um, all, all the all the ducks were lined up today and we found out that she used to have access to the freezer um, regular access to the freezer and what um, Dr. Whittaker said about that today was well if, if, if you're handling if you're in the freezer touching things whether it be the handle or the shelf or whatever then your DNA can build up in there and it's also in a chilled environment which means the DNA is is um, more likely to, to, to stick around and whereas I mean listeners right remember when this was first brought up I, I, I questioned the relevance of it and today um, I was I, I was absolutely questioning why would you ever bring that up because it's a completely different scenario to the um, to the supposed um, you know earlier one yes contamination <laughs> over over more than a year that um, that Mr Jovic is postulating here so um, Ali's quite right it didn't go anywhere but in reverse in my mind this I mean it, it just didn't help his case at all and the fact that the judge picked up that um, the, the, the the time gap was also um, of, of questionable um, uh, veracity because he said, well, that, that was the gap between it being discovered, not the, the actual gap between it being deposited as well. So, yeah, no, I mean, th that didn't do that, that didn't do the defence uh, any favours today no. either. We also went into the area of storage and how... Um what conditions can DNA last? And we, we went into the Egyptian mummies that he said, well, their DNA has been, has been lasted thousands of years. Um, they're still able to get DNA from mummies that they've found there. So obviously ideal conditions can keep DNA um, there for a very, very long time. Yeah. That's extraordinary. It feels, like, feels yeah. like we've been sitting through this trial since the age of the Egyptian <laughs> Well, for me, absolutely. I'm so glad the DNA is over and we can just sort of get back into mums and dads' language soon. <laughs> well, you did hear from the final forensic witness for the state and she quoted a staggering number. Yeah, big, big numbers. Um, so you mentioned it in your intro, Matt. This is a, a Dr. Sue Vintner um, from ESR in New Zealand, which you've heard a lot about. Um, and she was brought over to do the maths, basically, today. Um, she was asked to 
put a number, put a possible, you know, a, a likelihood of it, um, Mr. Edwards versus any other male in Australia, be they um, Caucasian, Aboriginal, or of Asian descent. And when all those numbers were run and when all the alleles were calculated, she said that it was 80 million times more likely to have been Mr. Edwards' DNA on Kira's fingernails than any other mm. Caucasian male in Australia. And then she went to an even bigger number because she was also asked to do the same maths on the samples from the Karakata rape victim. Um, and when she calculated those, she said it was 20 billion times more likely, B, with a billion with a B, like, more likely that it was Mr. Edwards' DNA on those samples than any other male in Australia. So that they, they are huge numbers. Dr. Vintner said anything above one million is the highest um, in words that they can possibly say. So it's a, a very, very, very likely um, uh, source of the DNA. Um, but it also goes to some of the speculation we've had for many, many months now as to the possible reasons for Mr. Edwards pleading guilty uh, to that rape um, so close to the trial because I am sure, well, these tests were done in 2017, so I'm sure he would have seen those numbers and his defence team would have seen those numbers. And when you, when you come up against those type of numbers, 20 billion more times yes. more likely to be anyone else, then that is a very, very big mountain to climb. Yeah, very strong. I mean, you know, we obviously saw the defence question so many practices and procedures of Pathwest, but really at the end of this um, forensic part of the trial, what we've seen is the prosecution coming out very strongly with their explanations. And ended on a very strong note. Mind you, the Karakata one with the uh, 20 billion he has admitted. That's right. Pleaded guilty to that one. But still you'd have to say, okay, it's not billions, but... 80 million times more likely to be Bradley Edwards' DNA is still a very, very high number, as Tim's mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very big number now. And it was, a, a, it, it, you've got to say, it was a very big finish today um, by the prosecution. Um, all those theories that we've talked about for so many weeks on all the other contamination events that we've talked about for so many weeks, when it really comes down to it, um, as you say, Nat, the, 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 the likelihood and the probability and the mechanisms and, the, and the, the string of unusual, unlikely events that would have to have occurred for that contamination to take place, um, I, it, you, you have to say, you, you have to say when, when all the evidence has now been presented that it looks like a very, very unlikely scenario. And then when you've got one of the world's pioneered DNA experts on the stand saying, well, if you line them all up, what's the most likely thing to have happened when he says, well, the most likely thing is Kira scratched Mr. Edwards when she was fighting for mm -hmm. her life. Mm -hmm. That's got to leave as, uh, as big an impression on the judge as it does on the people in the court, I, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the DNA part of the trial has lasted for six weeks and we've talked about the fibre evidence being next, but you do have a small adjournment before that happening. We have a long adjournment, actually. A Matt. long adjournment, so we, yes. thought, we thought we were going to have a couple of days. We thought we were going to restart on this coming Monday. Um, but Mr. Jovic stood up at the end of the day and said, Your Honour, I'm going to need until a week on Monday to get all my, um, uh, all my ducks in a row. 
And there's a couple of reasons for that. So the uh, prosecution's main witness, um, uh, fibre witness, is a guy called Dr. P- Ray Palmer. Um, he's also UK-based. Um, he is going to be consulting with the prosecution tomorrow evening, um, um, UK time. Um, so then he's going to send another report, which has then got to be given to the defence, and they've got to consider that. So Mr. Jovic has said, Your Honour, I'm going to need more than a couple of days. I'm going to need more than a, a, nearly a couple of weeks to get, um, to get all my head around this. And so that's what the judge has, has granted the time um, for all that to be done in the hope that they can pare down the, the issues to the absolute nub of what they need to, which might mean that we, the, the fibre evidence is, um, is cut short by a little bit. But we were also told this afternoon that that um, fibre evidence is going to take up the vast majority of what's left of the uh, whole prosecution case. And that prosecution case has still got 10 weeks to run. Oh, my goodness. So, so we're looking, we're possibly looking at nine weeks of fibre evidence to come. And then we get to Mr. Edwards's um, video record of interview. So... There's a long, long way to go. Well, the judge is very accommodating for the defence. He has to be because he's got an eye on any appeal. So um, uh, Mr Jovic has given all the time that he wants. Mm. And as um, we spoke to Damien earlier and and he said to us that, you know, this is when the defence will absolutely be burning the midnight oil to go through all that fibre evidence and be looking for any flaws within there. Mm. Yeah, well, and it's really... It's also... Trying to get to the heart of the issue, Matt, which is which we've you know we've we eventually got to with the DNA, where there was a lot of white noise around other contamination events, but that was that's a part of the, the, the defence's role to to try and raise a reasonable doubt, as we've discussed, and they will be doing the same here. Uh, and there was talk today of continuity witnesses, and there was this talk of um, uh, possible contaminations. So, look, some of some of the same issues that we've we, that we've uh, battle with in the in the DNA are also going to come up in the fibres because Mr Jovic is going to have to try and show or uh, put it another way the prosecution are going to have to try and disprove any possibility that those fibres have come from anywhere else other than Mr Edwards's shorts and Mr Edwards's car um, and so that's you know we're going to go through the same processes but what Mr Jovic says is hoping that we can just knock down maybe a few of those continuity witnesses and really, really get to the get to the heart of where we need to get to. Yeah. Well, thank you both for all your hard work on the DNA portion of this trial. Uh, we will be back with you Monday the 23rd of March. In the meantime, keep an eye out for more bonus episodes and we look forward to bringing you more from Inside Court when the trial of the century resumes. Bye for now. This podcast was produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. For a fresh take on the news that matters, tune in to WA's newest morning show, The West Live, with Jenna Clark at thewest.com.au. The West Live not only delivers on what the day's big news stories mean for WA with hard-hitting interviews and analysis, but it will also make you smile with light-hearted chats and local gossip. The West Live, like talkback radio, but without the interruptions. Listen live weekdays from 8.45am on thewest.com.au or catch up with the podcast.